Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. I'm Adol Kozilski. And I'm Fagy Stern. Good morning. Welcome to our show. And as always on our show, we try to con- to get you to start thinking about your health more and to be more proactive about your health. And while we put, on, uh, put a lot of emphasis on what you eat and sleep and exercise, we recognize that mental health is just as important. So today we are going to be interviewing an organizational psychologist and a brain-based coach. Her name is Shira Gutnick. She has a specific interest in understanding the mind, understanding individuals, and understanding how each person can be optimized. She pursued her training through the Neuro Leadership Institute, where she obtained the title of a brain-based coach. We are going to have a very, very interesting discussion, and we would love you to join it on 34519. That is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Good morning, Shira. Good morning. So nice to be here. So nice to have you. Thank you, Shira. Can we start off and tell us a bit about what brain-based coaching actually is? Yes, sure. So simply, right, as the name suggests, um, brain-based coaching is basically a brain-based approach to coaching. So what this means is that we approach coaching through understanding how the brain functions. Um, When we speak about coaching in general, coaching is often defined as facilitating positive change by improving thinking. So we want to work with the way that the brain thinks and the brain operates And in understanding that, facilitating a positive change for the person that we're working with. That's that's pretty interesting. So so the first the first uh, thing that we need to know is you have to have a brain so that that Shira can help us. But what what made you want to get into this 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 field particularly? So after I studied organizational psychology, I realized that you know the niche, the space that I really enjoyed was understanding all of us as individuals that operate in systems, in systems like the workplace, in systems like our day-to-day lives. And so I wanted to find a space that um, I could really focus on that. I found the Neuroleadership Institute because um, I think through the studying that I did, I was very drawn to statistical validity and science showing us that there's proof behind methods. And so the Neuroleadership Institute training really spoke to me because it said that we're looking at understanding brains, but we're understanding it in a way that is really based in the science. So there was kind of like a proof that added weight to it for me. And um, I went on to pursue pursue this, this, this coaching training, but I never really ended up practicing too much because in the organizational psychology world, there is a lot of work around psychometrics and general consulting, and it was easier to um, to kind of go that route. I, um, I had a health journey um, in the last uh, two years, 
Um, and we can go into that in a bit more detail. But after coming out of that journey, I really, um, I woke up and my, my I woke up from a coma um, and my sister-in-law reminded me of this actually the other day when she came to visit me. It was quite soon after I had been um, extubated where, you know, the ventilator was taken out. And I said to her, Hana, my sister-in-law, um, I'm, I'm going to live my life with intention. And oh. I made a choice that the focus that I'm going to put my um, my career is on this coaching that I had studied. And that's really started to take off um, a lot more. It's it's quite a fascinating thing, you know, um, just when, when, when we are talking about the world of functional medicine and, and, and really that's our focus on the healthy, you wealthy, right? Just to tell you that there's much more than just taking a medication and much more to, to what we know as the allopathic world. And let me say very clear, I'm not against the allopathic world. You know, um, if I break my leg, I'm not going to go to homeopath and ask them to try, you know, heal me or to try, try to do somatic healing. You need, you need, you need medical attention. So this is not against, uh, the, the, the allopathic world. But what I find very interesting is that in the fact now that medicine as a whole has become so much more broad. The majority of people that are dealing in the broad aspects, okay, whether it is like you in, in psychology or, you know, a functional medicine doctor or even ourselves, baby, um, is because we have gone through difficulties. It's actually been the difficulty that has been the impetus Absolutely. To, 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 to get us to, to think out of the box. And I'm hearing the same story from you. doesn't only let us of our box. It actually guides us on our journey into what our purpose is in the world. So something interesting just to add to that, um, you know, my story with my health journey is a long story and I don't think that we have the time to go into it tonight, but I needed to go in for a very serious surgery. And um, the night before my surgery, I felt extremely anxious. I had recently gone through extensive, aggressive chemo. Um, I was exhausted. And I remember saying to my husband, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I'm so anxious for the surgery. Please, can we sit together and do some sort of meditation or breathing? I know that I need to still my mind. Um, I had never been someone who meditated, but there was just this overwhelming feeling in me that somewhere I need to find stillness and uh, being grounded. And, you know, the night happened. Um, things got busy and I never prioritized it. I never found the time those five, 10 minutes to sit down and to ground myself. And um, the next day I went in for my surgery and I went into heart failure. Um, I experienced a condition, a rare condition called Takotsubo, which is a cardiac myopathy and it's related to uh, stress. So there was a huge amount of physiological stress because of the stress that my body had been through. And there was also the mental load uh, and all the anxiety and stress associated with the surgery. And I often think to myself, could things have been different if I had stopped the night before and really prioritized that feeling that I felt in my body that I needed that stillness and that my brain was telling me things needed to slow down? And I think that that's such a powerful lesson that I, I too, again, am resonating with the fact that I've, I too have started listening to my body. When, when, when feelings come up, instead of just like squashing them away or carrying on and doing whatever have you, I actually try to listen and try to regulate and, and, and change course 
if need be. Before I was, I was an adrenaline junkie. No? Sounds like me. <laughs> right. We're discussing. We're discussing um, your brain, and we would love you to join the conversation. Three four five one nine is our SMS line. Oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine is our Telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're speaking to Shira Gutnick, an organizational therapist, and we are talking about brain-based coaching. Shira, how does brain-based coaching differ from regular coaching? Okay, so like I said to you, um, the principles in this method are um, all underpinned by concepts from neuroscience. So that means that we understand uh, neuroscience concepts and we say, what are these concepts teaching us and how can we use these concepts to optimize change? Before I go into that, I think that um, just a very important message to put out there is that uh, Dr. Armin, who I hope will have a bit more time to go into, and who Fagi mentioned to me, someone you reference often on the show, um, he says in his book, he says, if you are struggling with your brain or your mind, welcome to normal. And I think that that's such a such an important um, such an important message, because he says normal is just a setting on a tumble dryer. There's no such thing as normal. I love um, that. I love that. <laughs> You know, if we think of um, CEOs in highly successful businesses, when their business is struggling, what do they do if they're an effective CEO? They look for solutions. And that's the way we have to think about our brains. If there's something that we are struggling with, we are normal. And what can we do? We can look for solutions. So one of the solutions would be to work within a neuroscience brain-based coaching space. And you asked, you know, how does that differ from regular coaching? Um, And I mentioned that we look at principles that are based in neuroscience. So let me give you an example. The one one concept we speak about is that uh, in brain-based coaching, we believe that coaching is self-directed. So what do we mean by this? Neuroscience has shown us that no two brains are even remotely alike. So we can have kind of physical and mental functions that are similar. So picking up a glass and drinking some water. But the thoughts that are about more subtle issues like goals and motivations, those involve a lot more complex sets of circuits. So how you solve a problem, Adol, is very specific to you. Other people use very different mental pathways to get them to solve the problem that they're solving. So what do we do with this piece of neuroscience? What does it teach us in the coaching process? The approach we take is that the coach doesn't tell you how to think or how to live. So there are no what we call coach-driven outcomes because I believe that your brain is so individual to you And so the process involves you setting goals for yourself and helping you to find the solution that is best for you. So I'm I'm hearing you saying that it's 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 um, it's goal orientated. What happens when a person is completely overwhelmed with emotion? Right. They've just had like just chunks and chunks of trauma. 
Um, you know, obviously, it, it, maybe it's happening on a daily basis, a weekly basis, yearly basis. It's happened many times, and they actually cannot get themselves out of the thick of I need to set a goal because I'm just so completely overwhelmed with emotion. Where does emotion come into this? Okay, so very interesting question. When we look at um, our results and the behaviours um, that are displayed, we think about it in terms of the iceberg model, right? The iceberg model is a famous model that we use in psychology, um, and it uses the analogy of an iceberg in the water. So if you think of an iceberg in the water, you see a tiny tip of the iceberg coming out. So you see 10% of that iceberg. That's what's observable. But 90% of the bulk of the iceberg is underneath the water and is invisible to us. So when we think about a person's behaviors or, or the results that we're seeing, that's that 10% observable part of the iceberg. Beneath the surface, the 90% are the beliefs, value systems, thinking that underpins all of the behavior. So when you are speaking about a person who is feeling so overwhelmed that they can't even think about their goals, that says that this is a person who needs to do a lot of work at that bottom part of the iceberg. And before they could even get to the space of being able to set a goal, it's about unpacking what is the thinking, what is the feeling right now that is fueling what's making you feel overwhelmed. And before we can get to, you know, thinking about what goals do I need? What do I need the tip of my iceberg to look like? Let me work on everything that's happening beneath the surface. So then if, if I can ask this, like most of most most of us for most of our lives are going to land up working under the iceberg because there's just some, if, if 90% is sitting there, it's not that, okay, I fixed up the 90% now, now you know. <laughs> I guess also, Shira, your, your concept is to understand like where those, what those behaviours are and what the actual behaviours are that are holding a person back from achieving those goals. Exactly, exactly. So firstly, I think there's a very important um distinction that needs to be made between the work that happens in clinical psychology and the work that would happen with me, someone who is an organizational psychologist and a brain-based coach. If there's a person who is really struggling with their inner world, which is so normal, then often that person needs to unpack all of that in a space where they can just be held and validated in a clinical psychology space. A person who generally is coming to a brain-based coach is coming because they wanting to be working on specific goals, on making certain changes. So for those people who need to be predominantly focusing on the 90% of the, of the iceberg, so important, and we would refer them to the clinical psychologist to do that. But Feige, when you ask that question, you know, um, what is it that that could be holding someone back from achieving from achieving goals? Um, that's kind of that's kind of the space where we look at the iceberg and we say, are you holding onto something like an unhealthy defense that could be that could be preventing you from actualizing your full potential? Can, can I ask you a question and flip it the other side? If I come to you as an organizational psychologist and say. I want to set a goal in in a year's time. I want to change the trajectory of 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 my my my, my work or whatever it is. Like, as in five years, I want to be here, and et cetera, et cetera. 
is there also is there is uh, I'm sure there is a reverse flow that if I sit in the cognitive world and I just set the goal and you help me organize myself and uh, achieve my goal of being more successful, say in work, that it will actually change the ninety percent iceberg as well. Like that, that there's a, a, a you know a reverse a reverse psychology or reverse on the psychology. Absolutely, and that's definitely the hope. And I think that there's a feeling that once a person achieves mastery in a certain area, it gives you the hope that you can achieve mastery in other areas as well, which obviously in turn impacts the way you feel in your inner world. And, you know, what's so interesting to me is how important it is for all of us to feel like we have a purpose. We are doing something that is important. We are actualizing ourselves and something I've taken note of in South Africa is during load shedding when you are driving in the streets you'll see that the beggars on the street take it on to become the traffic conductors and no one asks them to do it no one's paying them to do it but it gives them a sense of purpose in that moment and it was so eye-opening for me to see that because it shows that innate human need to want to feel like we are doing something, we are actualizing ourselves. Is there any neuroscience around thinking and manifesting a new reality? Yes, there definitely is. So we often think about um, uh, manifesting as being some, you know, airy fairy word. And I think it's often become associated with, you know, uh, more hippie type thinkers. But manifesting is actually rooted in neuroscience. So when we think about, uh, when we speak about manifesting, what does manifesting mean? Manifesting means thinking about and visualizing the future that you want and the steps to make it happen. So if you visualize and focus on what you want out of your life, you are more likely to achieve it. And why is this, right, from a neuroscience perspective? Because that process of manifesting, of thinking about and visualizing your future, actually sparks activity across your brain, especially in the prefrontal cortex. And what is the prefrontal cortex used for? It's used for goal setting, for planning, for uh, foresight. And those are the exact skills that you need to turn your dreams into reality. So when you tell your prefrontal cortex what you want, it will actually help you to match your behavior over time to get you there. I found this concept so fascinating, you know, about your thoughts create your reality. And we don't realize how our thoughts really can create a better reality for ourselves. And, you know, this all resonates because there's so much like as humans, we always want to have control over something. We always want to judge someone for something or blame someone for something. You know, they're the ones that are holding you back. They're, you know, we're discussing this just before the show. They're the ones that are behaving in a certain way, and that's why you're reacting the way you're reacting. Meanwhile, really, everything just comes from ourselves. And like when we when we kind of drop all of that and let that stuff go, you know, sure, like December was just like let go, let go, and be who you want to be, and become who you want to become, and don't let all of those other things hold you back, and don't use that as an excuse. And I feel like what you're saying, and it's it's so amazing because really, like. What we think we are able to achieve, we're actually able to achieve even more than that. So to be able to like look at crazy goals and things that we would think we would never be able to actually achieve, like set a higher goal than you think you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
just what Dr. Armin says about that is he says, um, you should write the sentence down and put it up somewhere that you can see it every day. Um, he says, where you bring your attention always determines how you feel. Or more simply put, you are where your thoughts are. And he shows us again with the neuroscience that if you focus on fear, you're going to feel afraid. If you focus on those who hurt you, you'll feel angry. But the opposite is also true. If you focus on gratitude, you'll feel grateful. If you focus on happy times and positivity, you'll feel more positive and excited about what's to come. So in other words, when you train your mind, you get to choose how how you feel. And he 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 gives us different techniques and he says, train your mind to help you rather than to hurt you. And I think that it's very easy for all of us to get hung up on worries and, and fears and negative thoughts, which end up with us feeling anxious and depressed. But what we can, what we can be aware of and kind of use um, as our ammunition is that if you think positively, you're releasing dopamine and serotonin and these chemicals, this release that happens actually makes you feel better. So again, it's about that, that, that neuroscience route. It's not some airy fairy, wishy washy stuff, you know, just think positively and, and, and everything will be okay. No, we're saying that you create change in your brain and you change the chemical release that happens. And that is going to impact the way that you are feeling in that moment. But can we discuss a useful tool to use around unhealthy defenses? Yes. Okay. So that is a very interesting question. And um, the way that I like to do this with clients is to do it in reference to that iceberg model again. So at the top of the iceberg, right, we have our results and our behaviors. And underlying the iceberg, we have our feeling, thinking, our values, and our beliefs. If you have a defense system that is, that you are using incorrectly, it can hold you back from achieving what you need to achieve. So maybe we can just spend a minute understanding what we mean when we say defense systems. All of us need to have defense systems to protect us. Defenses are natural and they are part of the way that we operate in the world. So a useful example is a child on the playground who is teased by a friend, that child feels like I am in danger and I need to find some sort of defense mechanism to make me feel safe in this moment. So this child chooses humor as their defense. So instead of letting that get to them, they find a way to make a joke of it and let everyone laugh it off. So in that moment, that defense is useful for that child because it helps them to deal with it. If that child then becomes an adult who constantly uses humor and doesn't uh, deal with the feeling of maybe I don't feel like the best version of myself because I've been teased, but I'm not going to let myself go there because I'm going to use humor as a way to cope with that. When they are an adult one day, it's possible that they are wanting to create change in their life or achieve certain goals and they are feeling held back. And when we look at that uh, iceberg model and we say, let's unpack 
what belief system is feeding the results right at the top of the iceberg that you're seeing what belief system about yourself is feeding the fact that you aren't able to achieve what you want to achieve and if they are able to say it's the belief that i actually don't believe in myself because i was teased and i used humor as a defense and i never was able to fully actualize myself if we can say that defense was useful for you when you were a child on the playground and now you are an adult who wants to actualize yourself how can we put that defense aside and let you tap into the part of yourself that says i know that i can be the best version of myself i know that i want to be the best version of myself and i know that i want those feelings and values to be at the bottom of my iceberg model to then allow the behaviors and results at the top to be the behaviors and the results that i want to see does that make so sense it seems though that those behaviors are obviously a pattern and something that you're used to doing right so obviously this brain based coaching is i don't know in a way a lot of work but also at what stage does the brain actually then switch so in other words a normal a person's normal reaction would be to have that humor in that situation they're obviously trained through the coaching how to how to change that but it's it's like almost difficult to change people's behaviors in order to explain to them how it would benefit them you know to set those goals okay such an interesting question and that really speaks to the concept of habits in our brain when we when we look at creating change um from a brain based perspective we don't look at how we can get rid of something bad or something that isn't serving us instead we look at how can we create a new habit that's going to take the place of an old habit so when we speak about habits in general habits are just our ways of behaving our ways of thinking and our ways of 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 feeling and we all have habits we need habits because it's the brain's way of conserving resources because you don't have to think to make simple actions happen right without if we didn't have habits we'd have to be using our working memory in every moment and it would take far too much energy but when we develop new useful habits that's when we see a uh, real real change happening and um neuroscience says that it is much easier to create new wiring in the brain as opposed to trying to change existing wiring in the brain We're talking to Shira Gutnick. She is an organizational therapist. If you'd like to join the conversation, ask a question, make a comment, 34519 is our SMS line. 0618951019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You Wealthy Show, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You Wealthy You Show with Adel Kasulski and Faggy Stern. We are speaking to Shira Gutnick, and we're talking all things brain-based. And um, we were discussing habits, and one of the things, I, like I'm trying to work on, is actually explaining to a group of women um, just last night that I made a decision, conscious decision, at the beginning of the year that I have to exercise. And in the beginning, like day one, day two, day three, was just so horrific. I had arguments with myself. I was sitting in bed for half an hour. Part of me was saying, "Get up! You know how important it is." I was going, "No, but you can't." And finding a whole lot of things, and I pushed through. 
And by work, by, by week three, like I actually got up very easily. It was very easy to exercise. The exercise got much easier, et cetera, et cetera. Then whatever, there was family circumstance. Also, I wasn't feeling too good. I was told by, by practitioner, don't exercise. Okay. And in a matter of literally two weeks, I'm back again, arguing with myself. I had to start again on Monday, you know, reset everything again. And it's been an interesting lesson to learn that if you want to keep a habit, you've got to keep on doing it again and again and again, and you've got to stick with it. And I, I, I think it's the hardest thing for people to do, you know? It it, it really is. And um it, it is really, it is fundamental to uh, the work that we do, the coaching work that we do. Um, and what we find is the important elements when it comes to changing habits is um, attention and repetition. So first giving attention to what is it? What is the habit that you want to change? What is it that that you want to achieve in in uh, changing this habit? And then repetition, repetition, repetition. And it sounds so simple, but that really is what it is. We are trying to create new wiring um, and a new, you know, a new brain communication. And I always like to think of the analogy of when you're digging at the beach, um, when you're digging with your children and you want to, you, you're close to the shore and you want to dig eventually um, to that point where the water is going to rush through. And initially, you know, you're digging and it just, it looks pretty dry. Like, where is the water? But the more consistent and persistent you are with repeating that digging, repeating that digging, eventually the water flows. And that's how you have to think about wiring a new habit. The more we do it, the more it becomes second nature, which is why we use that terminology, second nature. How do I take a new habit and wire it into my brain in a way that it just becomes second nature? And I think that there's there's something so hopeful and optimistic about that message because it suggests that all of us can really do anything if we set our mind to it and we make that decision to keep digging every day until that water flows. So interesting because I feel like I've always had this kind of question. Why are there people in the world that can just achieve everything? There are people that can, and they're brilliant at everything that they do. They're business owners, they're gardeners, they're, they can sew, they can cook, but everything's like to, to the absolute best or they can run, someone can run like a massive, huge company and be successful at it. And then other people like, struggle to do the most simple things, you know, like how different people's brains are. I find, I personally find the brain so fascinating. And Sherry, if you could also like kind of explain how changeable brains are. So like, I feel like we all feel like we're stuck. We're stuck with who we are and stuck with what we're doing. And I feel like in a way that may, maybe makes some people almost depressed and anxious, you know, I could never become successful. I could never get where I want to go. I feel like you know, I don't know, in the old, I don't know how long ago it was that people would feel like their brain is not changeable. You know, genetics is genetics. There's nothing you can do. Um, just to kind of elaborate, like, how changeable and malleable a brain actually is. Okay, such a beautiful question. Um, and, Faith, the way that you were thinking is the way that a very well-known researcher, whose name is Carol Dweck, thought as well. So I'm not sure if you're both familiar with the work of Carol Dweck, Mindset, um, but she 
basically as a young researcher, she wanted to understand how do people cope with failures? So exactly like you, she wanted to understand why is it that some people succeed and other people fail? So how did she do this? She created an experiment for herself. So she watched how students grapple with problems. Um, she did this by bring, bringing children into a room one by one. And, you know, she made the children comfortable and then she would give them a series of puzzles to solve. So the first puzzles were relatively easy. And then the puzzles got harder and harder. And as the students kind of like perspired and, and toiled with the task, um, she watched their strategies and she probed what they were thinking and what they were feeling. So she expected, right, that there would be differences in how they coped with the difficulty. So some would cope and some wouldn't. But she then saw something that she never expected. One of the 10-year-old boys came into the room and he pulled up his chair to do the puzzle. Um, and he was, you know, flying through the, the easier ones. And then it started to get harder. And she watched as he started to struggle. But instead of giving up, he rubbed his hands together. He kind of smacked his lips and he cried out, I love a challenge. Another boy came in and his response was similar. He was struggling with the harder puzzles. It wasn't easy for him. But he looked at her and he said, hmm, you know, I was really hoping this would be informative. And as a researcher, Carol Dweck was so confused. She had come in with the view that either you coped or you failed. She never thought that she was ever going to see someone who loved failure. And she says how these children gave her the gift of where her research began because she was determined to understand what is the mindset that can turn failure into a gift and what is it that was actually at the core of these these children beliefs they knew that i mean even though they didn't know it consciously they knew it unconsciously they knew that human qualities like intellectual skill is just something that can be cultivated so they weren't discouraged by failure they didn't even think that they were failing they just saw this as an opportunity to learn. And I think exactly what you are saying is that we so often as humans believe that our ability is cast in stone. Either you're, you're smart or you aren't. Um, and you constantly have to be proving this to the world. And so failure is that if you, if you believe that either you're smart or you aren't, Failure is that confirmation that you don't have what it takes. But if we if we look at it from the two different mindsets, which is the fixed mindset and the growth mindset, Carol Dweck says that when you see things from the growth mindset perspective, it is the belief that these children had that to fail is part of what it takes to learn. And scientists are showing now that people have the capacity for lifelong learning and brain development. And although we may start off with different temperaments and different inherent abilities, we know that we each have the capacity to develop these. And um, Robert Sternberg, who you know is seen as like the present day guru of intelligence, he writes that um that it's not always the people who start out the smartest who end up the smartest. 
Absolutely. Absolutely fascinating and definitely resonating for me. We are talking to Shira Gutnick. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Hey, we've just got a couple of minutes left, and honestly, we can talk about this forever and ever. Um, Shira, what are the implications of this mindset research, like practically? Okay, so we are saying again and again, right, you are where your thoughts are. We are run by our brains. And so the view that you adopt yourself is going for yourself, right, is going to affect the way that you lead your life. It can determine if you become the person you want to be and you accomplish the things that you value. And how do we understand this from the mindset approach? If we believe in this concept of the growth mindset and the idea that intelligence and talent is something that can be developed over time, we believe that we are open to learning and to stretching ourselves. If we holding on to, which by nature a lot of us do, the fixed mindset, which is the assumption that, you know, talent and ability are fixed in stone, then it leads to kind of risk avoidance and resistance to change behaviors. So simply being conscious of that uh that change in how we perceive mindsets can change the way that we believe we can live our lives. I think I think you've come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, in what did you say right in the beginning of the show um, when, when you went through your struggle that you chose to live with intention? And that's what it is about, is that most of us walk around like zombies, okay, and we, we, we just we kind of are reactive. Um, the mindset is proactive and living with intention. There's there's a lot more, and we're going to bring you back again, um, Shira, onto the show because I think there's a lot more to discuss, and it's it's really really important as part of our overall health that we are healthy mentally. So thank you so much for joining us today. If somebody wants to get hold of you, how can they? They can reach out to me on email. Uh, my email is. Shira Gutnick, S-H-I-R-A-G-U-T-N-I-C-K at gmail.com or um, my cell phone, 073-683-0655. Fantastic. And that's wraps up another episode of the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. A reminder that Fagy and I run a WhatsApp group where we drop even Dr. Eamon, quite <laughs> often. In fact, uh, that's a thing. We're going to be dropping Shira. Sure. <laughs> sure um, we drop a reminder every single day on some topic, whether it is of the mind, of the body, of the soul. Even I'll be doing, doing some recipes lately. Um, if you want to join that WhatsApp group, you can please send an email to info at com with your name and your number. Of course, you're going to have WhatsApp. Um, it is admin-driven, so we don't drive mad. You can keep it on silent and just look at it whenever you have time, but that's just our daily motivation to live, as Shira said, a mindful, intentional existence. Thank you for joining us. This is 101.9 High FM.